You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. I'm excited to have here today Nick King, the co-founder and CEO of Vint. Vint is a company that allows you to invest in fine wine and rare spirits. They source, securitize, store, and then sell investment-grade wine and spirit collections. Thanks so much for being here, Nick. Looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, excited to be here, Tony. I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. Oh, for sure. Now, let's just start off by having you introduce yourself. You know, I just use that one-liner there, but how do you introduce yourself when you're talking to people? And then can we hear like the origin story of how Vin came along? Sure. Quick background on myself. Grew up in Virginia. I, I was always a highly competitive person, really interested in, in markets. You can look back at when I was younger, I would collect Pokemon cards, soccer cards, and I can remember trading those, whether it was on eBay or, you know, more so just like in the cul-de-sac of my neighborhood. And then, you know, I was also kind of arbitraging FIFA players on the the sports video game. I've got to dive in there because you already kind of like made me want to ask like 10 more questions about all of that. Because as you know, at New Street, we cover a lot of these different things. So let me take these like, <laughs> just dive in deeper if that's cool with you. So the Pokemon card stuff. So were you just collecting as a casual hobby? Were you selling? Were you making like a business out of it? Is that something you still do now? Because to me, like I'm, I'm starting to see behaviors of you like as a collector slash investor. And I just love to hear like how that all came about. Yeah, it was really as a collector when I was a lot younger. But with that, I, I can remember, you know, it, it, the the inefficiency of of the market where you know you you can look at a neighborhood there might be like 10 market participants in that neighborhood and if you have a a card that somebody wants and you're the only one that has it you're going to command a premium so i i think i can remember you know so making some pretty good trades in that that neighborhood group of you know various types of of playing cards but it really started as as a collector and i wouldn't say it really was a business at that point in time i was probably like nine or ten years old yeah, yeah. got it okay and then it sounds like you always thought about markets which is really interesting to me and then then you started thinking about fifa and maybe just explain that to the folks who might not be as aware so how how did how were you trading fifa ultimate sure so it's it's a soccer video game as probably 14 years old and there was an open market where you could acquire players for for your team and you know it was a ebay-esque market where you could auction or you could put buy it now and i'd actually be pretty interested to look back and see how liquid like what was the value of players being traded but you know it functioned decently well but it wasn't perfectly efficient so what i was doing was effectively i would get notified whenever i would set target prices for players as they were 
trading below that target price, I'd automatically acquire and then relist at say a, a 15% spread leading to this, you know, really interesting arbitrage. And, you know, thinking about Vint, I kind of look back and think about those things as sort of foundational to, to the business. No, I, I can see that some trends already before you even get to the Vint founding story about the kind of stuff you're interested in sitting across different asset classes. Okay, so I interrupted you in the story about where you got the Pokemon cards, the FIFA, and then I guess what what happened at like in college, I suppose, and afterwards, where did your interest in, in trading and, and all these things lie? You know, I invested throughout college. It was pretty early as a Robin Hood user, say, um, 2016, 2017. And, you know, that led me to read a lot of books specifically on markets, specifically on different principles of finance. And out of school, I was at a, a value investment fund. And for, for those of you value investing, it is basically Warren Buffett's style of investing where you're trying to acquire assets below their intrinsic value. A lot of people like to contrast growth and value as two ways of investing. You know, I, I think value investing is just, it, it's much broader than than people like to, to think about it. So as, as a value investor and holding that, that principle of acquiring assets below their intrinsic value pretty close to me. I, I, I look back and that's what I was doing on FIFA. And with these cards, I was finding assets that may have been mispriced. And I you know, kind of went down this alternative asset rabbit hole around 2019. And the wine and spirits market was really interesting to me. Yes, I drink wine on the weekends, but I was far from a, a, an aficionado in the, the wine and spirit space. But what really stood out to me when I was learning about the industry was that economic inefficiency. Sure, you can find data to 1900 showing 8.5% annual returns. It's not correlated to traditional financial markets, but that economic inefficiency that existed in those other markets that I talked about was prevalent here. Okay. So maybe as someone I'm, I don't know much about the wine market, I have like a rough idea. Can you kind of walk me through the dynamics, right? Because so, I mean, I guess my sort of basic macro understanding here is, of course, you have wine produced in different regions around the world produced on like a seasonal basis. Some vintages, some years are considered better than others. I guess over time, certain wine that you get would appreciate in value. When you look at that sort of, and this is obviously hugely oversimplified, where are the big opportunities that you saw there? Like, What was the interesting about that to you? And also versus other asset classes as well. There's alternative investment can mean a lot of different things. So yeah, I'd love to just know a bit deeper about the wine stuff and your your interest there. Definitely. There was a lot of data in this, this market. And w what really piqued my interest was the fact that you could buy the same bottle of wine for typically four different prices. You could buy it in the UK, in the US market, in the auction markets, and in the Asian markets. And you would see these spreads that were, you know, quite <laughs> quite wide. And the the academic example 
that people use to describe economic inefficiency may have the years wrong, but it, it was in the 1900s and you had Shell, the oil company, and Royal Dutch Shell. They were the same company, but one was trading on one stock exchange, the other was trading on another stock exchange. And there was this 10% spread between the same company. And it just didn't make sense. You're buying the same thing. Why is it priced at a a 10% difference? And I saw that across the wine industry. So that's really what got me interested in the asset class. And I had a ton of learning to do. I, I read a lot. I talked to a lot of people who invested in this asset class. And the, the more I learned, the more excited I got because it was clear that this market was broken. Everybody has that person in their, their neighborhood, like the old guy who has a wine cellar, and they might not necessarily think of him as investing in the asset class. But, you know, in reality, what is he doing? You know, he's probably going to sell that. A lot of people will buy like a case of wine, sell nine of them, keep three of them and effectively drink the three for for free. You know, that is an investment. But basically, the only way that people were doing it, and people had been doing it for a long time was either you needed to own a cellar or have a storage facility, and you needed to have all of those relationships, which that's great for people who are true connoisseurs and say this is one of their top two passions, they're probably going to go out and do it themselves because they enjoy that entire process. But outside of that, you basically had typically about 25 grand to start and you would get a list of wines back three weeks later. And I thought that was a highly inefficient, highly opaque and largely inaccessible process. And when I asked people, why is that how it is? The resounding answer really across the wine and spirits market, because it is pretty antiquated, is, well, that just is how it is, which is exciting for me as an outsider to fix some of those things. Okay, so it sounds like, well, this is, this is so fascinating, by the way, like just understanding the dynamics of wine. It makes a lot of sense to me as you're explaining it. But you, you start getting into wine, looking at it from a market perspective, inefficiencies in the market, and then what was the next step there? Was your immediate... Because there are a lot of things you could do, right? Could you have just invested passively on top of your job? You could have, I don't know, started a, a fund, joined a wine company. I don't, I'm sure there are wine traders out there. What was the story that got you to Vint? And I also know Vint, Vint isn't just wine now, right? also other types of spirits. So how, how did that interest turn into Vint eventually? Yeah, that's a great question. So I got together with Patrick, my co-founder. He was a friend from UVA and he was a software engineer at Capital One. And we basically arbitraged a wine portfolio to, to learn how to do this. So we acquired a portfolio and we ended up selling the the wines to a merchant and earned about a 30% return in about six months. So we're like, oh, this is pretty interesting. We, from there, we acquired a lot of data. I'd say we were somewhat in the, the wandering phase. We were just learning, just kind of wandering through the market, not really sure what Vint was going to be at that point in time. You know, Vint could have been a data-driven hedge fund, you know, I could have been StockX. We were still learning and, you know, part of me looks back and is is embarrassed because I'm someone now who's just like, just do it. Like, you don't need to 
necessarily wander. You just need to get something out there and learn from customers. But we we were wandering and, you know, we started to look at this data. You know, it was clear that this asset class had strong returns and it was uncorrelated to traditional financial markets. But there was just really no way to access the asset class. No one had created a real financial product for the asset class. Everything that was out there was basically like total wine with a portfolio page. Like, yeah, you will sell you the wine and you might have an, an interface to look at a portfolio, but there was no financialization. So right around this time when we started working on it, like Masterworks had spun up and they were doing this for art and Rally Road. These companies were still really early and we went down this process of regulation A+, which is a regulation under the JOBS Act, which was created in 2012. And what it allows, you know, it was created to allow private companies to raise capital from non-accredited investors. So the, the, the genesis of it was someone like a new street or event might want to raise capital for their business and they would do a, a regulation a offering it's almost like an ipo in a way and basically where that extended was the secure extended to was the securitization of tangible assets so each vent offering is its own llc and we spent about eight months going back and forth setting up this structure that allows us to, as you said, Tony, at the start, source, we'll source the best assets. We use that data. We take a two-pronged approach, fundamental analysis, and then we're also highly data-driven, piping in UK market data, auction market data to help inform our buy and sell decisions. So we'll source, we'll securitize. Each collection is its own LLC. We file that with the SEC. And once those are qualified, both accredited and non-accredited investors can buy shares in these thematic collections. Got it. This makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let me walk through this just so I let's say I'm an unaccredited investor. What might I be looking for in invent, right? Like so a collection is a like a basket of of different wine and spirits like boxed together that you've kind of made the selection on for a certain like investment profile? Is it like a big, I don't know, hundreds of, of uh, bottles of one particular type of wine? And then what kind of person would you be targeting? Like, is it someone who's a retail investor just looking for other options here? Is it a slightly more sophisticated investor? Just kind of walk me through the actual offering, like maybe with an example and the kind of folks that you're seeing, like kind of actually put in investment into this. Absolutely. We can just walk through a prototypical user journey. So, you know, our investors, we really do have a range from retail investors to self-directed IRA, like institutional type of partners to high net worth, ultra high net worth investors. So I wouldn't say net worth is necessarily a a quantifier to use when thinking about VIT investors, because we do have the entire spectrum. But one thing that all of these investors have in common is that they're looking for portfolio diversification. They want something that's uncorrelated, especially looking out over the last year when the 60-40 portfolio was down almost 20%. When things 
when markets go down, it's funny, the the things that are supposedly uncorrelated typically end up being correlated. They end up going down. So all these investors are looking for diversification. And, you know, they may or may not drink wine on the weekends. They they may be, you know, it may be one of their top five hobbies, but they don't want to go through all of the process of owning the physical assets. They'd rather own paper than a a physical asset. So they land on Vint and, you know, we may be the product to help solve that portfolio diversification challenge into an uncorrelated asset for them. It takes about two minutes to set up an account. And from there, you can invest in a series of offerings. So just to take a step back about our process, our collections are typically between $25,000 to $350,000. It could be a single asset. It could be a regional basket. So this week we have two Karizawa Japanese whiskey collections. There are two bottles in the collections. One is 86000 another is 64000 And, you know, on the wine side, we had a Bordeaux Futures offering. It was $230,000 and it was over a thousand bottles, a broader exposure exposure to the asset class. And they're, they're kind of like drops in a way where a few times a week we'll drop these collections. They typically sell out within the first day. We had one sell out within 15 seconds last week. We've had one sell out in a minute, a few days after. So from there, investors can build their portfolio. Most investors take a, a diversified approach. They invest across, you know, say three to, to 20 event offerings to get exposure. And that's what is unparalleled about our platform. And I know you all have done a ton of work on the collectible space. One thing that seems to be similar across wine, spirits, art, other collectibles, is that really the top end of the asset class is where you want to be. It tends to be the most resilient. And for us, we can source exclusively the top end. We're not trying to build someone, say, a $5,000 portfolio, and we have to compromise on the assets. You could have bought one share in every Vint offering, and it would have cost about $4,000. You'd be exposed across 55 offerings and have like a truly unparalleled portfolio of assets. The, what's interesting also to me here is that, I guess this also partially thanks to the regulation, but you're democratizing access to this asset class that didn't really exist before, right? Kind of like how Masterworks, I mean, you probably could have invested in art before, but it was much more difficult to access that. Like 50 years ago, I theoretically could have invested in this, but there was no easy platform that provided the UX for a broader group of people to do that. Is that right? Exactly. You you can go out and do this on your own. And why people don't and why people use our platform is that, one, it's much more expensive to do on your own. You're going to have to store at a, in, you know, a subscale manner, thereby paying higher costs. And then at the end of the day, you're probably going to have to go to an auction house where you're going to pay 20 or 30% transaction fees to exit the assets because we are vertically integrated with our own 
relationships in the B2B market, we can typically acquire assets for a discount to the fair market value because we're storing over $7 million worth of assets now. We have favorable storage terms that are much more cost effective. And because we have all the licensure to sell these assets, we, you know, you're not exposed to the 30% auction transaction fees. And, and maybe to understand the range of your product. So do you source like where, where does the Vint offering begin and end? Is it all types of wine, all types of spirits, just from certain regions? Is that part of your expansion plans? So I guess just be all encompassing. You're focusing on a certain subsegment. Yeah, we're broadly diversified. So thinking about wines, within the last month, we've had a South American collection, which I'd throw into the emerging markets category. You know, one of our goals is to financialize the asset class. So if you start using terms that are common in traditional financial markets with emerging wine, markets, yeah. people start to, yep, emerging markets, wines. We have a blue chip collection of Chateau Margaux, which is a, a Bordeaux first growth, which really has the longest track record of investability. We did an Italian collection, a Tuscan Legends collection, which we throw into kind of the trending, not necessarily emerging, not necessarily blue chip, but the trending. We've done Champagne. We had some Callan, Bowmore offering. We've done Casks. I'd say we're, we're really broad. And why we're really broad is, you know, diversification is something that I view to be important, not just across asset classes, but within an asset class. We're, you know, at the end of the day, an investment platform. Investments go up, investments go down. If someone tells you the investment only goes up, I'd probably run the other way. So all that we can do in terms of mitigating that risk is really diversifying our op- our, our offerings. It's interesting. I'm also noticing, you know, when I think about Masterworks is an analogy for for y'all instead of let's say Rally or some of these other fractional platforms, like Masterworks and and Vint. When I think about your value proposition, it's really about diversification, alpha, the financial opportunity. When I think about Rally, sometimes they talk more about like the collectible emotional aspect, like you know, invest in the Declaration of Independence, you know, in a dinosaur bone, and it's less about like data on how that's a better. Than the SP 500, it's more about like, oh, how cool is it to invest in a dinosaur bone? You know, and to me, these value propositions are slightly different. But what it does allow is like, let's say my uncle who doesn't drink at all, he he might not care less about wine, but he'd be like, oh, Vin, this is interesting to me. But I don't even drink. You know, versus a rally, it's kind of different proposition there. That is a great observation, Tony. And almost word for word, what I've said quite a bit internally is that. And it, it really stems from, I think, my dispassion towards the asset class. You might think that's funny to say, like, why are you doing this if you're dispassionate about the asset class? I'll flip that on its head. And I'd be quite concerned if the, you know, the wine investment platform, the person who's running the company really loves California cabs. And I just keep seeing all these California cabs because, you know, he's letting his bias dictate what should be offered on the platform. So I, I'm frankly, you know, we're trying to create a new asset class. I, I don't care if you're passionate about wine or spirits 
or not, this platform was created because it's an interesting asset class that has a long track record of returns and is uncorrelated to traditional financial markets. That's that's wonderful. I mean, I also saw you raised a round of funding recently. I think it was last year. So I'd imagine maybe right now your only constraints would just be resources in order to acquire more collections, whatever that might be. How would you define, I guess, the rough plans for the future in terms of like growth, what you're focusing on, expanding? Definitely. We closed a fire round in October 2022. Montage Ventures led that round, had a number of investors across the alcohol bev from a company named Goat Rodeo Capital, who's exclusively focused on that sector to fintech investors, consumer investors. So excited that that round was closed. So in terms of growth plans for us, one is data. So I mentioned a lot of sources of data, UK market data, US market data, auction market data. We're continuing to add more and more sources of data to our to our database to help understand where we should be sourcing, where we should be exiting and and finding more alpha across the market. You know, we generate this structural alpha through kind of the vertical and as, vertical nature of our platform, but we think data is another advantage. Because as I, as I mentioned, this is an antiquated old school industry. The more that we can use data, the more opportunity that we're, we're going to find. So that's one. Number two would be new types of products. We've had a number of investors, specifically high net worth family office investors interested in the asset class. But they they just want to cut a check and us give them an update on a quarterly basis. So this weekly collection rollout, you know, dr- almost drop method, isn't really suitable for for those types of investors. So a new product under Regulation D that's more suited to someone who wants to cut a check, and it might be more broadly diversified, say like a, a rare whiskey offering or a 70-30 wine and whiskey portfolio. So that's something that we're really excited about is this new product set for those investors. And then third, you know, we're going to continue to increase the frequency and the size of our core Regulation A offerings. You know, that is the core of our business is is regulation A. They are these collections. So we're we're certainly not going to stop there. The collections are going to get bigger. I'll tease a really interesting collection that we have coming up. We have a it's our our largest yet. It's over three hundred thousand dollars. It's a Karizawa cask set. There's three casks. And for and those listening who are interested in Japanese whiskey, they are probably familiar with Karizawa. But for those who are not, Karizawa is one of the most famous Japanese producers. However, it closed in 2001. It it shut down. So the bottles now command a a premium in the market. So we've done, you know, I, I mentioned we have a Karizawa Pearl Geisha and the Karizawa Golden Geisha collection this week. The distillery is actually reopening, and we got access to some of the first 
casks. I believe they only made 25 available and we were able to get three of them. So really excited about that in terms of new offerings that we're bringing to the platform. This is this is super cool because it, it sounds like you're really at the forefront of, again, when it comes to investing, creating a new asset class in a way. And then when I think back also to, you, know, you mentioned earlier, getting into Robinhood. And if you reflect on the past few years, one of the things we've seen at New Street is a lot of the rise of more retail investors, partially through Robinhood, through things like Wall Street bets, just investing in collectibles, you know, people getting back into the stuff that we're also looking at, sports cards, NFTs, sneakers. Now, what are some macro trends I guess you're seeing in investing when, I, when it comes to, uh, you know, your focus obviously on, on a particular type of asset class, but, you know, knowing that you've also done stuff like Pokemon cards and FIFA and are an investor in general, what are some other things you think that are exciting trends across finance and investing these days? Yeah, inflation. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. So, you know, people, you know, we continue to have high inflation. Inflationary expectations remain high. That's why we've had these interest rate hikes. And what's interesting for us in the alternative space is that in these inflationary periods, in the past, most people go to gold because that's one of the only tangible assets that they can go and you know get their hands on and invest in in a pretty you know simple manner. However, over the last 123 years, wine has about 2x inflation over time. It tends to be a a way to hedge against inflation and it, I think it's a pretty interesting tailwind for our business is that when people are concerned about inflation, they want something that has been a proven store of value. And, you know, it has this long track record. And this data is from a, a Cambridge study. Cambridge University ran a study, I can send you the link to, dating all the way back to 1900, that looks at wine versus other asset classes. So from a macro perspective, I think that's one of the most pertinent when it comes to wine and spirits as an asset class. Second, you know, I had mentioned the the tendency for asset classes to be more correlated when things go down. It's been a, a really painful year for investors, whether it's stocks, bonds, crypto, especially if you put that in perspective to the last 12 years where things have been largely up and to the right. So I actually think that pain is another tailwind for alternative assets. Change does not happen when things are just going all, you know, nice and dandy, especially in portfolios. You know, if the 60 40 is working, it's like, don't, you know, don't, fix it if it's working or whatever that that saying it is. So now that that has stopped working, that that loss aversion, that pain of losing money, I think it's going to drive people to look for alternatives in their portfolio. You you add on the fact that we're still in the early innings here of alternative asset classes. I think platforms like New Street are really going to help us you know, drive this asset class forward. I had mentioned us using language that is similar to financial markets, like emerging markets in terms of 
thinking about collections. The more that we can financialize the asset class and create these associations, provide investors with data and research, the more we're going to pull forward the the alternative asset space. So um, I'm I'm pretty bullish about one the, the space as a whole, and then two just the recession resiliency, recessionary resiliency of wine and spirits itself as an asset class. I, I know one of the things we talked about before we got on the podcast, I was talking about, obviously, you know, NFTs, something we're really interested in across all asset classes is a way to securitize, financialize, fractionalize things. I mentioned StockX, you know, ha- allowing people to buy NFTs to represent ownership in sneakers, which also just makes brings more liquidity. And and it reminds me of something you said earlier, how, you know, if StockX allows you to buy an NFT of a sneaker versus needing to pack and ship and deal with the logistics of buying and selling it and moving it around, it, it allows, you know, I guess, greater liquidity around that market. Now, I, I'm definitely not an expert in the NFT space when it comes to whiskey and wine and stuff, but I've heard a bit about it. I'd love to know, is that an area you're looking at that you think can be part of this sort of tailwind and then also maybe beyond just NFTs, like how is technology and data, more broadly speaking, affecting the market for wine and spirits? Definitely. On the NFT front, I'm, you know, I've mentioned our mission is to create a new asset class. That's why we spent eight months with the SEC. There's 250 pages on sec.gov that outlines how we do what we do. So I'm I'm of the belief that if you're going to create a real asset class and take it to the institutional markets, you need something like that. That's why we went this type of fractionalization or securitization route over, over NFTs. And where, where I think that technology is, is interesting in the wine space is I think that the technology became prevalent in the art market because you have these secondary market sales that are jacked up in terms of pricing and you as the creator do not have any residual ownership so i think that's something that exists in the wine market that could be interesting however it is very antiquated it is old school and you would need this broader adoption of something like that i know people are trying to bring wine on the blockchain from a, a fraud perspective so you want to track everything you you haven't seen any sort of mass adoption in this asset class because it is quite antiquated so that's kind of in the the nft space but when it comes to data an interesting debate is like what is the the fair market value of these assets you know they are relatively illiquid especially compared to something like public equities however the assets do trade unlike art that may trade like once every five years you know you can find five or ten sales this year of domain de la rome Nicanti, which is one of the most expensive investment grade wines and we think the data is only going to get better and looking at broad sources of data is going to create a better investor experience. We're going to be able to source at more advantageous pricing and then also inform investors over time regarding you know their their holdings. So I think that the industry has a lot of room to run. 
with regards to wine and spirits. Spirits in particular is more opaque. You have companies like LiveX who provide UK market data. You know, they're pretty good. But when you look at whiskey, bourbon, scotch, it, it's really opaque. <laughs> it's really opaque. But that creates opportunity in my mind. Now, I'd love, I just love hearing your take on different markets. Now, I know we mentioned earlier, maybe being super passionate is not necessarily a good mindset to have when investing. But putting aside whiskey, spirits, stuff we've talked about, are there any other, I guess, asset classes or investment opportunities that you're pretty passionate about or interested in that we haven't mentioned? Just curious to get your take because you know I'd love to get your perspective on what you find interesting. Definitely. That, that's a great question. I found it a little difficult to find places to put money recently, but one one platform that I'll, I'll give a shout out is Ground Floor. They do hard money lending and maybe a little bit outside of the New Street, New Street scope, but their, their founder, Brian Daly, he's really thoughtful and they run a, a really good platform. So that's one where it's exposure to the housing market without actual equity ownership in the homes it's it's a debt product and you know i <laughs> i like to talk about things that i i know pretty well i don't know where we are in like the the housing market cycle but i do know that ground floor has originated over a billion dollars worth of loans and they've consistently earned about 10% so that's one that you know i'm i'm really interested in and then when it comes to other other assets, I, I'd say I'm I I don't spend all day thinking about public s- stocks, so it's really hard to go out and pick stocks when I don't spend all day thinking about it. I'll sometimes read 13F filings, which are the filings that hedge funds have to put out that disclose their holdings, what they've sold, and you know I have a few funds that I respect specifically long-term value oriented if they bought something i think it's interesting i'll buy it as well so it's a kind of tracker portfolio off of investors that i respect when it comes to public markets awesome now nick i'm gonna close with the last two questions i ask every guest the first one being you know where can people find you the website the social media etc and then the last question what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience definitely you can find us at vint.co. Feel free to shoot me an email at nick at vint.co. That's probably the, the best way to reach me as I am terribly addicted to to email. And the the last message that I'd like to leave is is really around efficient diversification. People like to throw the word diversification out there. You're not really diversified if you just own 50 tech stocks. When those when tech goes down, they tend to all go down. You're not really efficiently diversified if you just own 60, 40 bonds, because as we've seen, that goes down. Real efficient diversification is found in uncorrelated asset classes like stocks, bonds, real estate, wine, art. That's how you create this diversified portfolio such that when things do go down like they did last year, you know, you're not hurting as bad when you're exposed to something like wine and spirits. Amazing. Thank you so much, man. Really enjoyed the interview. Good chatting. Thanks, Tony. 
Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.